Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Hey guys, before we begin the show, I want to talk to you about the All of Us Research Program. Hispanics are the largest ethnic minorities in the U.S., up to 18% of the population. However, we are underrepresented in research studies, only 10%. This gap means researchers know less about our health. Hispanics deserve to be represented in studies so we can know more about our health and be as healthy as possible. As our population grows, so should our participation. Create a better future by participating. Just visit joinallofus.org slash highly relevant. Hi, everyone. My name is Jack Rico, and welcome to episode 153 of the Highly Relevant Podcast, the show about how Latinx pop culture is reshaping mainstream entertainment. On this week's episode, we're talking Latino newsletters, Axios Latino in particular. If you're unfamiliar with Axios, they're a bite-sized news delivery platform company uh, formed about 2016. They're very well known for their newsletters, which break down the news in an innovative and very organized way that legacy news brands like the New York Times don't. Marina Franco is the co-editor of Axios Latino. She'll join me later on to discuss why the newsletter was created, why there aren't many Spanish-language newspapers still left in the U.S., and how journalism differs in Mexico versus the United States. But before I talk with Marina, it's time I give you my weekly review of what's happening in Latinx pop culture in a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie, TV, and music news of the week. Demi Lovato announces a short-form talk show called The Demi Lovato TV Show, premiering on Roku July 30th. Olivia Rodrigo notches her fourth week at number one on the Billboard 100 with Good For You. Danny Ramirez leads ensemble for 20th century thriller No Exit. Carlos Santana will be recognized with a Legend Award October 8th on PBS at the 34th Annual Hispanic Heritage Awards. Roberta Colandrez will star opposite Gael Garcia Bernal in his Amazon movie about the Liberace of Lucha Libre, Cassandro. Eva Longoria has joined the Board of Trustees of the Academy Museum in Los Angeles. And Latinx outlet Fuse Media is launching a streaming service targeting underrepresented audiences. And in tech and social media news, Facebook has reached $1 trillion in Launch Bulletin, a new newsletter initiative for journalists. Instagram is testing sharing links on their Insta stories. Spotify has filed a patent to introduce karaoke to the platform. And Apple has launched Today, a global initiative that will provide mentorship and skills training to underrepresented communities across the globe. Before we get to Axios, Marina, I want you to tell me a little bit about your journalism career. When did you know you wanted to become a journalist? As it as usually happens, it started with family. Uh, my grandmother, one of her part-time jobs uh, was 
uh, getting newspaper clippings back in the time before the internet. Uh, she'd do newspaper <laughs> clippings on uh, Mexican news stories that might be relevant for different embassies here in Mexico. And I remember staring at those news clippings with such fascination, like thinking like, wow, she's going to send these over and they're going to end up in like London. <laughs> and they're gonna, you know, um, and so it just that idea that something that's as small and paragraph short, you know, like five paragraphs worth of news about Mexico could could end up in, in those places for me was like, por aquí es. What was your first big break? So I didn't study anything related to journalism because um, the careers here in, in, in Mexico for that are sort of very restrictive. Why is that? I, I think there's never been that much of a an idea of studying journalism directly here in in Mexico. It's always been like people do political science or people do economics or something else, and then they land in journalism. How much of that has to do with cartel killing journalists all the time? Is there a fear for people to become journalists in Mexico? I mean, there there is an act of self-censure, but more than cartels, because that's more recent, it's been mm. a sort of history of um, censorship from government throughout Latin America. In Mexico, we even have a term for it, which is called chayotero, um, because chayote, it's, it's actually a, a vegetable, right? But um, in the times when the PRI was a government and it was a hegemonic government and it was even once called the perfect dictatorship because it still had elections, but you already knew what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. They would give journalists chayote, which was pretty much just money and envelopes um, to dictate what they could Crazy. or couldn't write about. Um, and so there was censorship and there was self-censorship. Now so that, that role has been taken over by cartels, but it used to be the government. So those who did journalism in the past weren't really committed to it. Or if they were, it was very like the equivalent of having your blog or your substack nowadays. So it was just like have your little um, like yeah. print news item at home. Yeah. So how do people trust the news in Mexico? Not that much. Um, consistently, when they do uh, a trust in institutions kind of polls, news media is kind of like halfway there. Usually gets like a, a seven out of a 10. But yeah, I think most of the problem is that people who are dedicated to doing overall journalism just have to learn how to do it while on the on the job and in the 90s that became much easier um, because we had newspaper owners that were had been educated in the U.S. and so they came here with more of that idea of let's get people um, the training they need instead of you trying to figure out how you're going to write what you knew. Interesting. So fast forward, you're at Reforma. What happened after Reforma? 
Well, the New York Times was starting its um, Spanish offshoot here in Mexico City, and they were looking for people who knew English well enough and who did uh, journalistic stories well enough, I guess. And um, so I, I sent in my CV and the editorial director of New York Times in Español at the time ended up interviewing me. It was quite a long hiring process, but it was great. And once once again, my, my abuela's expertise came in handy because she's the reason I learned English when I was really young because of her diplomatic <laughs> experience. You owe a lot to your grandmother. Yeah, I, I, I owe her so much. And that was an amazing experience in terms of getting to tell New York Times style stories, but that weren't just from from a U.S. perspective, right? That it was Latin right. Americans ourselves telling the, the stories in Espanol that were sometimes being translated or helping out with the reporting for correspondence. What was the ultimate goal of the New York Times in Espanol? Because I feel it was very short-lived. It unfortunately was, yes. Um, they were sort of trying to gain a foothold in Latin America, which is because of that journalistic history that I've mentioned of um, media not being as developed or being very tightly controlled by those in power, either uh, governments or criminal mm. groups. Um, not a lot of people tend to be subscribers or or consider having that sort of more professionalized media. So I think the Times went to sort of gain a foothold by also having offerings in Spanish. And there were a lot of things that were a hit, right? So like we started a newsletter, which gave me sort of a taste of what I'm doing. Now we had a daily newsletter called El Times. And it was super successful. We had tons of subscribers from all of Latin America, from Spain, from all over, really. Um, but in the end, at least my perception of it is that the commercial side of selling uh, New York Times in Espanol from those people who should have been doing that commercially was never fully thought out. So even though the editorial side was there, the commercial one didn't match. And so they ended up thinking that they should just close it. But now, I mean, that's happened with, with a lot. We had seen it in Espanol for thought for Latin America that closed. I think there was a Wall Street Journal in Espanol and that ended up closing too. Why do you think that all these major uh, Latino startups from these big brands seem to seem to fail, never really seem to rise and, and sustain that success. There's a couple of theories. One, Latinos don't like to read, <laughs> right? Two, um, that the powers that be uh, treat Spanish like an afterthought and not necessarily like a priority. They do it so that no one can criticize them on it. It's almost like a show. It's a performance. It's not real. And they don't get it either. 
So which one do you think is the real reason why so many Spanish language newspapers fail in the United States? I think because just having stuff in Spanish isn't enough to get you there. There's a multitude of of media and I mean you yourself I think are are a good example of this, right? So you know Spanish but you don't necessarily want to only read news in Spanish, right? So you need to have news that is in your language, sure, but that also feels reflective of you as a person. And I think there's less investment in having those more localized news or international news, but that speak to you more particularly without without it being just about the language, right? It needs right. to be also more about the culture, the length of the news stories, what you're talking about, how you're approaching it. I think to do that, it takes more time. So yeah. the powers that be in terms of investment will be like, Oh, but you've had enough time because it's in Spanish. And it's like, yeah, but you can't, you can't just build an audience from that, right? You need all the other elements and that takes longer. And so since results aren't in as fast, it's easier to think like it was a failed project when they were mostly uh, just investing halfway. Let's take a quick pause with Mariana Franco to talk about the All of Us Research Program. Hispanic culture is pop culture. We're leaving our mark everywhere from music to food to fashion. One place where we need to make an impact is scientific research. All of us want to include our voices in research so we have a better idea of how unique we are genetically and to see if we're prone to other diseases. Did you know individuals of Puerto Rican descent are roughly twice as likely to develop diabetes as someone with South American heritage? Join the revolution by participating in all of us. Visit joinallofus.org slash highly relevant. Here's what needs to happen. We need to get a trillionaire, right? To say, here's a billion dollars for this particular Spanish language journalistic platform. And we're going to allow you five to 10 years to develop. Here's a billion dollars. Go do whatever you want. That's the only way that that we're going to get it. Like it has to be like El Diario La Prensa gets or La Opinión gets a billion dollars and they just blow it up. They they do a TV network, they do podcasts, they do a, a massive mecca media uh, that is just Spanish language, but within the United States. I mean, listen, you have out of the 60 million Hispanics, eh, what about maybe 20 million of them, maybe 30 million of them speak Spanish primarily. Those numbers should, let's just say 3 million people subscribing to something in Spanish is money coming in. But I think we're all very fickle. I think these numbers and these stats that Nielsen gives us, I don't think they're fully accurate because we we never fully see the power that we say in these statistics come to be. Like, I think a perfect example was the 2016 elections with the Latinos for Trump. Even the even the gringos were like, what just happened in Florida? Now you were at the New York Times. That uh, your 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 tenure there uh, ended, and then you came to Noticias Telemundo, and Noticias Telemundo. Now you're doing Axios Latino. 
Tell me about why, what is Axios Latino? So the idea behind Axios Latino is to provide sort of these news capsules in a more summarized way. The way that Axios itself uh, is, is positioned is like what you need to know it without tons of paragraphs, just like in bullet points. So doing that, but for Latin American and Latino stories. Now we know what Axios Latino is. How did it come to be and how did you become a part of it? Did Was it Axios pitching Telemundo? Was it Telemundo pitching Axios? How did these two uh, platforms, these two news platforms come together? Axios was looking to broaden into including that sort of perspective and um, the people behind Telemundo networks, two of them, um, Romina Rosado and Gemma Garcia especially, were familiar with Axios style and they thought that bringing those two together could be perfect ingredients, right? So like the Telemundo side could provide more of the stories that aren't being as covered um, outside of specifically Latino networks or specifically Spanish-speaking Latino networks. And Axios had that well-established newsletter prowess and uh, summarizing news. When, when Telemundo and Axios were in very initial discussions, I was asked to write sort of like draft versions of how we could do this newsletter, what that newsletter would include. And then we sent those drafts as sort of proof of like, hey, this could work. <laughs> and Axis agreed. And so I was fully brought in to do the whole thing along with uh, Russ. Russell. Yeah, along with Russ Contreras. Well, I I, th I think I I I subscribe to the, to the newsletter. I've been subscribing to the newsletter since it came out. I think March twenty fifth, and uh, I love it um, because a it's in English, so it's just it's not that Spanish is hard for me to read. And I I can read actually read Spanish very well. I think psychologically, there's a sense that if it's in Spanish, I don't trust it as much, and if it's in English, then I do trust it completely. And I don't know if that's prejudice. I don't know if that's a form of bias. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm sure that I'm not the only person that thinks like that. I just think American journalism is much better done. So seeing it in English, but about Latino stories that affect us, it feels me. It feels American Latino. It feels that resonates with my with my identity, with myself. Latinos in the U.S., what brings all of us together, what makes us general, isn't necessarily language. You know, it's more of a celebrating roots and doing it in different ways and honoring sort of our, our ancestors in different ways. But that doesn't have to mean being able to speak Spanish or being able to read Spanish or being able to write in Spanish because not everyone does. Second generation doesn't necessarily, third generation doesn't necessarily. I mean, those that do probably do it because they want to and that's great. Most of them 
people speak English and that's great. So the idea was sort of to offer news stories that are about us, but that are also in a language that you probably use day to day much more than you do Spanish. How is Axios Latino doing so far? To my understanding, we're doing pretty well. We've gotten, uh, I think Axios has a goal when it just launches a specific newsletter of, I don't remember how many thousand subscribers. And I think we hit that within the first week. Fantastic. And then the open rate, which is how many of the people that are subscribed actually click on the, on the email when they get it, is really good. Now, have you done demographic checks on that? Are they all Latinos or are they blacks, Asians, whites that are interested in these stories? I don't have those numbers specifically, but from the reader feedback that we do get, we definitely don't only have Latino subscribers. That's amazing. I think people are always interested in learning about aspects that either show them new things about any part of the world. And I think for Latinos who will subscribe, it'll be like maybe one out of the six, seven, eight news items that we send every week, they'll be familiar with. But then the others might be eye-catching or interesting or something they didn't know about. And I think that's also true for the non-Latino subscribers. They'll be like, you know, maybe they live in Chicago, but they aren't, they aren't that immersed in Chicago's Latino culture. And then sometimes maybe they'll read one of our news items and be like, oh, cool. I feel like I know a little bit more about my neighbors. Marina, thank you so much for being on the Highly Relevant podcast, getting to know a little bit more about you, your career and Access Latino. And if everybody wants to uh, subscribe to Access Latino, what do they have to do? Yeah, so they just have to go to um, axios.com slash sign up slash Latino. And before I wrap up here, here are three Latin tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. Llueven, claridad y oli miglioli. Perreo y Lloro, Simona y los del control. Ya ser tejeda, el sol de la madrugada. Sole la madrugada. 
That's it for episode 153 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I'd like to thank Marina Franco for coming on the show. And if you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. So we have a new podcast about race and pop culture called Brown and Black with Mike Sargent and me. It's available on all podcast platforms. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.